Yeah, but let's get into the, let's get into Matthew 7. I, I'm aware that this passage is a tricky one. You guys don't know me. I don't really know you very well either. I know some people, but not many. Um, and we're going to talk about judgment for half an hour, right? Like this is, this is a bit tricky coming in. I don't know you that well. Um, it, it, it's a tricky thing that we're talking about. And I think we're going to need God's help if we're going to think through this well tonight. And so, um, join me. Let's pray to start that He would help us. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much um, for your love for us. We're so thankful that you haven't left us in the dark, but you have given us your word that we can know what it looks like to live for you and to live lives as kingdom citizens following King Jesus. Um, we pray tonight as we think about judgment and we think about how to make right judgments and look at Jesus' words here, which can be a little bit confusing. Um, we pray that you would help us to be ready to hear them, to think about how to apply them to our own lives. And we pray that as we come out of tonight as a church, you would grow us to be um, more open and honest and real with each other. That's, that's really the goal tonight. And so we know we're not going to do this on our own. We need your spirit to be at work in us. And so we pray tonight that you would do that. Amen. <clears throat> I reckon this is probably one of the most well-known teachings of Jesus, right? Particularly if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you wouldn't close off a Christian, teachings like don't judge or you'll be judged or do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We like them, don't we, as a society? Whether you're religious or not, you can get on board with that. Oh yeah, that seems like a pretty good idea. Um, people like that. But the problem is, our society, we hate judgmentalism, this, this idea of kind of judging others, but yet we judge all the time. And in fact, I think we're actually becoming more judgmental. Um, you know, the rise of cancel culture. You can pull up something from someone's past and then just cancel them and they're done. That, that's on the rise at the moment. We're, we're quick to make judgments. Did anyone see the clip of Will Smith at the Academy Awards last week? Have, we, have you guys seen that? Yeah, yeah, a few people have seen it. Um, if you didn't see it, uh, Chris Rock made a joke about Will Smith's wife, and he went up and just slapped him. And you know what? I couldn't find a news source that didn't have a judgment attached to it. They're all like, that was a horrible thing to do, violence, not the answer, um, hypocrite Will Smith, you know. Or some people were like, you know, that was awful, you know, the joke, and yeah, he should have done something. People judged that moment. And the Academy Award, the Guild, I actually found out yesterday, banned him for 10 years. And so the Academy Awards made a judgment of Will Smith, didn't they? And I think judgmentalism, it reveals something inside each of us. See, we're happy to call out bad behavior in others when we see it in other people, but we don't really like it when it's called out in us, do we? Um, what we tend to do, this is the human condition. We tend to look at other people and assume the worst of them, assume bad motives. Um, we don't give them any slack just kind of make those assumptions. But when it comes to ourselves, what do we do? We tend to think the best of ourselves. You know, if they just knew what I was going through, they'd cut me some slack. If they just, you know, knew where I was coming from, my motivations, then, you know, they would let it go. Um, the other morning, it was like, it was a huge day of packing. We had boxes everywhere. It's like 2 a.m. in the morning. And my daughter starts crying. She's two years old, Eden. And, and, and I was sitting there in bed. I woke up. And do you know what my first thought was? I hope Sophie, I hope my wife hears this. 
What a terrible first thought. You know, and, and I caught myself thinking, oh, I'm so tired. I've done so much today. You know, if only she heard and, and knew what I was feeling, she'd go and go and look after Eden. Um, let alone that my wife is 26 weeks pregnant, has iron deficiency, and has been completely carrying us through the move. She's been a superhero. And I had just said to her that night how thankful I was for all the things that she'd done. I realized in that moment that there's a hypocrite inside of me. I wonder if you've had that experience. The words I said didn't line up. And although I did get up in the end, you know, I, I, I did the right thing. I, I thought it through. I was slow to make a right judgment because I um, assumed the worst of her and expected her to assume the best of me. And I think that's the question that this passage raises for us today. Is it ever okay to judge? And if so, how do we do it without being hypocritical? And I think what Matthew 7 shows us is in order to make right judgments about ourselves or about others, we first need to make a right judgment about God. That's the first judgment. And if we get that one wrong, we'll get all the other judgments that we make wrong. And, you know, we've been making our way through Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount and seeing what it looks like to live as kingdom citizens, as disciples, as followers of King Jesus. And we've seen how the Old Testament was pointing forward to Jesus, the whole thing, and how he fulfills it all. Um, he, the, the great promise of the Old Testament is that one day God would be with his people and dwell with them. And, and we see in Jesus, he deals with the, the, the broken relationship, the problem we have with God. And he fixes it and he gives us his spirit. He makes us, you know, we're forgiven, washed clean, made new, able to be with God again. And so the law, it's not this kind of set of rules that hangs over us as a burden in our lives. No, we don't meet any requirements to be with God except for trusting and faith in Jesus. He's done it all. It's kind of like a prism, right? Like light flows into a prism and it's kind of beige, single-colored, monochrome as it goes in. And then when it comes out the other side, it's this beautiful, multifaceted, kind of glorious um, picture. The, the image is kind of shining out. That's Jesus with the law. Without Jesus, the law feels burdensome. But when we know Jesus and trust him, we can see the law for what it is. It's beautiful. It's God's wisdom for us. And, and actually, Jesus teaches us how the law is God's wisdom for relationships with others and relationships with Him. He fulfills it all. And so, we're going to dig in tonight and see what it looks like to live out making kingdom judgments. Um, and I think Jesus, in this passage, in verses one to six, He gives us this really practical outworking of judging and, and what that looks like. But the, the principle is in verses seven to 12. So we're actually going to work backwards. We're going to start in 7 to 12, get the principle, and then come back and look at the application of judgment. Is that okay? Does that sound good? You guys on board for this? Let's go. Um, all right. The, first, the key to making kingdom judgments, the first key is to judge God rightly. Uh, or to put it in the negative, if we fail to understand God and his character, we'll fail to make any other right judgments. Let me just clarify when I say judge God, I don't mean like declare him innocent or guilty. I mean like judge of character, to, to understand his heart, who he is, how he relates to us, how he feels about us. Um, that's what we're doing. So pick it up with me in verse 7. Jesus says this. He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Do you see the teaching that Jesus is helping us to understand here? He's showing us God's heart towards us is the heart of a father who loves us. See, the argument is that human fathers who have the capacity to do evil, even they can give good gifts. How much more so can the God who never does evil, only ever does good, how much more so will he give good gifts? Um, the, the pictures are almost comical, aren't they? You can imagine um, a child gets up in the morning and asks for their breakfast and you, you get a plate out and you put a, a rock on it and you like spread some peanut butter on it and you give it to them. Like, what? That's, who would do that? Um, I know in our world, actually, um, fathers can be evil and, and there are plenty of parents who um, do the completely wrong thing by their children. But we, we understand the sense of this, don't we? Parents generally feel this responsibility to protect, to care, and to love their children. And, and, and Jesus is saying, if, if humans can do that, how much more so does God do that to us? It's this contrast of humans and God. You see, God is a, is a father who is good and who loves us. He delights to give us good things. His mercy is greater than any failing that we could have in our lives. And he knows us intimately and personally. And it's not just God's uh, intimate kindness towards us as a father. It's his ability to act in the world. See, we're limited in the way that we can act, aren't we? We're human. That's what it is to be human. We're limited by our energy, by our time, by the resources that we have. You know, um, you, if you have an assignment due the next day, you've only got six hours to get it done. There's a finite time, right? I don't know if that's you guys. I'm not assuming anyone's a last-minute um, hand or inner of assessments. We're also limited by our selfishness, aren't we? You know, um, my son might ask me to go and play with him, and I'll say, oh, I'm tired, mate, and sit and you know, scroll on Instagram for 15 minutes. Like, that's, that's my selfishness that's limiting the ability to give him something good. But God's not like that. He's unrivaled. He has all power and authority. Nothing can ever stop him from doing what he wants to do. He's never fatigued by a task. He's never worn out by the care that he provides for us. As humans, when we care for others, it has an emotional kind of drainage on us, doesn't it? God's not like that. He's limitless. His limitless power meets our limitless need. That's who God is. And when we understand who God is, what's the most natural response? It's to come to him asking, seeking, and knocking, isn't it? I think Jesus in the context here, I think what he's meaning here is prayer. That's what it means to ask, seek, and knock of God. And we've got to understand this teaching in light of the wider context of the sermon. See, Jesus, he's not just saying, ask for whatever you want and God will give it to you. He's not saying there's some kind of special secret code that you can knock and, and you'll open the metaphorical door to all the treasures in the world. Um, you know, we saw two weeks ago Matthew 6, didn't we? There's um, context on what to pray for. See, at the heart of right prayer, what did we see in the Lord's Prayer? It's that God would be glorified, that he would be made great, that his kingdom would come, not the kingdom of Ben. 
that his purposes will be done, not the things that I want done in the world. Um, we saw in the Beatitudes, didn't we? What Blessed are those who are spiritually needy, spiritually poor. Those who are aware of their need, of their failings, of their um, need for God's grace and mercy. Really, the prayer here, um, it's the focus, it's the wrong question to ask, what should I pray for? The right question would be um, <clears throat> to ask, is prayer a sure thing? Is it a sure thing? And, and what do we see? It is. Those who ask will receive. Those who seek will find. Those who knock, the door will be opened. It's not because of us or some magic code or what we're praying for. It's the one that we pray to, the God who's in control, who loves us. So on the flight over here, um, we got a little scale to weigh all our bags. And basically all we did was weigh them all, find out they were all overweight, and then be like, oh, well, we've got to take the stuff anyway. And so I just went to the airport. And, and we asked the lady there, I said, hey, the bags are all a little bit over the 23 kilo weight limit. Is that going to be a problem? And she said, oh, you know, that's okay. I'm pretty lenient. You know, we're pretty generous with that. We'll make sure we get all your bags on. And she even checked a car seat for us. Oh, wonderful. Um, it wasn't me who asked her that made that happen was it? It was her generosity and her compassion. She could have said no. And that's kind of like God. It's not us that are the, the deciding factor in whether it happens. It's God. It's his fatherly heart for us. It's his power to act in the world that means that he'll answer prayer. And it raises the question for me as I, as I read this, what's my prayer life like? What's your prayer life like? Your prayer life is reflected in your view of God. If you think God is small and incapable to act, or that he's miserly with his affections and doesn't really care about you, he's indifferent and far off, you wouldn't pray to him, would you? Why not? Because he, you wouldn't think he would do anything. But if you think he's powerful and kind and intimately connected with you and cares for you, wow, that's the kind of God you want to spend more time praying to, wouldn't you? When you face crises in your life, who do you turn to? Do you turn and pray to God? When, when you um, spend time in prayer, do you do, you do it regularly? Are you, are you trying to cultivate a, a, a prayer life which shows your dependence on God as Father, the one who gives you good things? Are you praying that God would reveal things to you, false idols that you have, sins that you have, um, false loves that you have? What's your prayer life like? Maybe for you today, you need to go home and make a plan to pray. I don't know. I, I, I want to be honest with you guys. I actually find prayer pretty hard. I'm, I'm not naturally a person that's been, you know, just naturally goes to prayer all the time. I've got to work hard at it. I think there's this kind of false idea in Christianity that, um, you know, we should just pray all the time and it should be effortless. No, no, we actually have to kind of set up habits and make routines and, and build the prayer life. You know, when are you going to pray in the day? When are you going to fit it into your schedule? Between uni and work and seeing friends and other stuff, we just run out of hours if we don't plan it in. Um, what things will you pray for? I find in my own life, if I just start praying, I tend to be quite selfish, um, to be honest. I tend to just pray about things that are on, on, on in front of me and my life and, um, you know, things that I need. And those are all great things to pray for. But there is so much wider things that we can pray for that we see in the Bible um, are we using scripture to inform the way that we pray? We actually use an app at church called Prayer Mate, 
uh, and we send out prayers and you can kind of sign up. And we'll, we'd love, to, if, if this is you tonight and you're feeling like, I'd love to be a better prayer and I'm just not quite sure how to kind of get set up in that, just put it on your Connect card. Hey, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love some help to pray more. And we'll set you up on, on prayer, mate, and we'll kind of walk you through what that looks like to help you get into some better routines and habits. See, God is both good and powerful. He's the Father who cares for us. And he loves to give us good things. That's the first key that we need to understand about God. And in fact, to know God as Father, to know his love for us, that's kind of at the heart of what it is to be a Christian. If you're new to church, you're new to the things of Christianity, just kind of checking that out today. Um, to, to know God's love for us as Father is, is the key thing that we believe as Christians. And, and, and the key way that we see the Father's love for us is at the cross, at the gift of Jesus dying for us. See, Romans 6.23 says this, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, sin, that the essence that we, each of us has, that we um, want to live for ourselves as king, not God, disregarding his rule. It's cut us off from life in him. And the Bible says the penalty is death. But actually God loves us and he loves to give us good gifts. And so in his grace and mercy, he sent Jesus to die that we might have eternal life. He received, Jesus receives the punishment that we deserve, death, and we get life from him. If this is all new to you and you're just hearing this for the first time, I want to encourage you, keep coming along. Keep hearing this. We're going to go more in depth on this next week at Easter. It's going to be a great time to keep exploring what Jesus' death means for us. And can I say, if you've heard this um, a thousand times, if you've been a Christian for a while, this is still the thing you need to hear. That the grace and mercy of God as Father who sent his Son to die, who, who brought us into his family, adopted us, made us new, the, the foundation on which we build our lives. That's the key thing for us. See, Christianity is ultimately being part of God's family. It's, coming, it's being able to live with God again and be free from the guilt and insecurity that comes um, from our sin. That's what the cross does for us. And that's why verse 12 starts with therefore. Therefore, in verse 12, therefore, in light of who God, God is, in light of his fatherly care for us, in light of his insistence to treat us with mercy and grace when we turn to Jesus and put our trust in him, when all we deserved was punishment, in light of his love shown to us, sending Jesus to die in our place. Therefore, in light of all of that, verse 12, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. See, most major religions have some kind of version of this teaching. Um, it's called the golden rule. Lots of religions, so I think Buddhism and Islam have this in the negative. You know, don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. Um, but none of them really tell you why. And none of them really show you how it's possible to live that way when other people don't treat you like that. But Christianity does. See, your attitude towards others flows out of your understanding of God's attitude towards you. He hasn't treated us as we deserve, has he? He's shown us such generous grace. And, and knowing that, it, it does two things for us. The first, it stops us from being insecure. 
God knows us. He knows all of our sins, all of our failings, all the, all the brokenness in your life. There's nothing that you've done that God doesn't know about. And yet he loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you, to bring you back into relationship. And that kind of, it allows us to deal with our own sin and failings. You see, if we're insecure, we won't think about it. We'll push it to the side. We'll kind of ignore it in our life because we're not in a place to be able to deal with it. But if we know God's love securely, we will be in a place to kind of deal with our own failings. And the second thing it does is it frees us up to be empathetic. See, if you, are, if you trust Christ, if you put your trust in him, you're a forgiven sinner. You, just, just like other Christians who've done the same thing. And, and, and you still wrestle with, with sin and, and failing in this broken world. And, and you'll be empathetic towards others because you'll see they're just like me. They're going through the same things that I'm going through. See, Jesus says to live like that, that kind of a life, loving God, loving others, treating them as you would want to be treated, that was always the intention behind the law and the prophets, behind the whole Old Testament. That's the first key to making right judgments, is to understand how God has treated us, full of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. And here's the second key. This is the second thing we need to know. Before we seek to help others and and speak into others' lives, we first need to look internally. We need to judge ourselves rightly. Or to put it in the negative, if we fail to kind of uh, understand our own heart and motives, we'll be loveless and hypocritical. We'll, We'll be unable to help anyone else or care for anyone else. See, let's come and have a look at what Jesus actually says about judgment. Pick it up with me in, in verse 1. Give you a sec to turn there. Verse 1, Jesus says, Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you used. See, a standard, it was a weight. You know those kind of old school scales? They um, balance two things, and you put the, the standard on one side, and then the thing that you put on the other side, you can tell how heavy it is based on the standard that you're using to measure. Um, Jesus is saying here, don't weigh with broken scales. Um, don't, don't, don't try and use a, a faulty weight to judge others, but then when it comes to yourself, use a different weight. No, no, you're going to be judged based on the same standard that you judge others. Judge with fairness and empathy and integrity, not with hypocrisy. See, all through this Sermon on the Mount, we've been seeing that Jesus calls us to make right judgments, doesn't he? About the way we pray, about the way we relate to others, about the way we use our possessions, what we're storing up for. In you know, chapter 7, we're going to see next week, he actually calls us to make right, right judgments about sheep who are in wolves' clothing. Um, he, he, he constantly calls us to make right judgments. What he's saying here, it's not never judge. It's that we ought to be careful about judging others without first looking inward. It's not a requirement to be blind, but a plea to come towards others with a generous spirit. To go against that human condition which we talked about, to um, give ourselves slack but assume the worst of others. It's to stop pursuing a PhD in the faults of others when you've only got a primary school understanding of your own faults. That's what he's calling to here. And just as the tension is building, you can imagine all these people surrounded Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, and everyone's quiet, and they're thinking, is this me? Is he talking about us? And what does Jesus do in this moment of high tension? 
well, he, he illustrates his point by cracking a joke. Sit with me in verse 3. He says, Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite! First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. What a crazy scenario. A man kind of walking around with like a two-by-four plank of wood sticking out of his eye. It's like, it's ridiculous, isn't it? I really wanted to find a bit of wood and like kind of start the sermon off just like walking around with it. But I was like, this is my first time here. You guys will think I'm weird. I better not do that. Um, Jesus' point here, it's twofold, isn't it? He's, he's packed a, a, a sharp punch inside this kind of comedic story to help illustrate a point. The point is twofold. The first thing is, well, how can the bloke with a tree sticking out of his eye even see the splinter in his brother's eye? Like he's got this giant log sticking out. And secondly, why does he focus on the splinter and not the log in his own eye, the beam of wood? See, what's the, what's the goal of the teaching here? It's not to never make judgments. It's a call for Jesus' followers to show humility and generosity and grace when dealing with others, but to first deal with their own failings, deal with their own sins, look externally. And I kind of as I, was, as I was reflecting through this, it, it made me think, what are the practical steps with which we might do this kind of internal work to be able to help each other see clearly. Because the end goal is beautiful, isn't it? We want to be able to see more clearly. We want to be a church, don't we, that helps each other fight sin, helps each other live for Jesus. Do you guys want to be a church like that? Yeah, we do, don't we? But we've got to do some hard work to get there. What are the practical steps? I reckon it's three things. It's understanding God's love for us. We've kind of been through that. Understand it'll drive us from insecurity to peace. It'll drive us from legalism to empathy. And it will motivate us to generosity and kindness, understanding how God has treated us. That's the first key. And the second one we just talked about, it's to be doing this work of self-assessment first. It's to remember the human condition. It's to, to ask God regularly in your own life to help you identify and fight sin. Are you praying that prayer? Hey, God, help me see the ways that I'm not even consciously um, sinning, but that I'm just falling into habits in my life. Um, It's to turn to the Bible as our ultimate standard for morality. God hasn't left us in the dark. He's shown us what it looks like to live for him. And we can see it in the Bible. It's to check our motivations. You know, whenever you kind of notice something in someone else, just, just pause and stop. Hey, what's going on for me there? Why am I noticing that in them? Is that something that I need to kind of pause and just think about myself for a second? And it's to kind of look, look for patterns of behavior. Um, you know, one-off events, I don't think, tell us that much. But you can kind of start to assess if you've got patterns of doing the same thing over and over again. There's an opportunity to kind of see that and, and assess it and, and use it as a chance to grow by God's grace. See, Tim Keller, he says this about prayer. I love this. He says, prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. It's also the main way we experience deep change. The reordering of our loves. It's this process of kind of bringing the things that God is showing us in his word by his spirit to God and saying, God, I'm seeing this and I want you to change me. Uh, it, it's this, this example of spiritual humility, isn't it? To, to, to see things and then bring them to God. And so we've got to do that work. That's the second thing. Um, the work of self-assessment. And then we come to actually sharing it. 
um, sharing what I'm calling a kingdom judgment, although I'm, I'm open to a better title than that. Um, here are some practical things that you can do there. Um, you can, you, the first thing is, um, very rarely will we listen to someone who we don't know or trust. Um, very rarely, I think. In my experience, to share this kind of thing, it's only done in when I trust that the person who's speaking to me loves me, cares about me, knows me, wants my good. Um, that's the context within which we can do this. And, and to do it, it would be to kind of name the thing. You know, try to be specific. When have you seen it? We'll ask them about the motivations. Um, don't assume things of them. Ask questions about it. Um, secondly, it would be to kind of um, talk about how God's been showing you grace in your life in that area. Hey, yeah, I've been struggling with that thing heaps too. Um, here's what God's been showing me in his word. Here's how I've been um, trying to grow by God's grace in that. It'd be um, giving a clear call to action. Hey, hey, can we fight this together? How can I encourage you? What's a step that we could take this week? And it'd be to do it all with empathy. Remember that the standard that you use to judge others will come back to you. And what would you want? You'd want to be treated with love and care and grace. A gospel of grace that drives this whole process. Um, it's worth saying as well that all of this, the kind of language of brother here, it's this familial language, right? It's family. And it leads me to think that making these kind of kingdom judgments, this is something that we do um, for those who follow Jesus. Uh, it prim- primarily happens with other Christians who we know and love and trust. I do think there's a place to kind of share Jesus' vision for the good life and, and what it looks like to live God's way in the world with those that don't yet trust Jesus. But primarily, we share the gospel with them. Why would they want to live following a king when they don't know what the, who the king is, what the king's done for them? We need to introduce people to King Jesus before we ask them to follow him. See, in my own life, at key moments in my life, I've had people, trusted friends that have spoken these kind of kingdom judgments into, into my life. I remember when I was 17, I had a friend um, having a chat with me and I was kind of new to Christian faith and new to those things. And, and he sat me down and he said, hey, this girl you're dating, it's not good for you, it's not good for her, it's not good for anyone. Um, and, and I didn't want to hear it, and, but he was right for a whole bunch of reasons. And, and, it, and over time, he talked me through it, and, we, and it, was, it changed my life. He helped me live for Jesus. He did it with love and care and empathy. And maybe you're sitting here in your seat right now, and you're kind of, um, that makes you feel a bit like, oh, like I could never do that. There's a, almost a sense of repulsion when you hear that kind of thing. That would be so awkward to do that. Do people feel that? I don't know if you're feeling that. It's hard with masks on to kind of gauge where everyone's at. Um, some of us feel like we could never do that, either being on the giving or the receiving end. Um, but we need to fight against our individualistic tendency. The world around us is confused about what goodness actually looks like. And so we, they find it, we find it really hard to make right judgments. But as a church community in love and trust and grace, we can kind of start to speak these things slowly into each other's lives. We're going to need each other to help us live for Jesus put off sin, and, and trust and grow to be more like him. That's why this kind of thing, it can't just be the job of the staff team. You know, like the 10 or 15 of us that are on the staff team, it can't just be our job. It's actually a responsibility of all of us as a church to get around loving each other. And, and, and we do it in relationship with those we trust, right? 
It's one of the reasons we love connect groups here at Auckland EV. You know, a small group where you can build trust and connect with others and, and partner in living for Jesus and, and fighting sin, putting off, you know, being on mission together, growing to be more like Jesus, sharing habits that you've seen God speak into your life that you'd like to change. See, if you only come to your connect group or come to church every third week, every second week, every fourth week, you'll never build enough trust and commitment with others to go deep and, and change. You'll stay safe, but you'll stay shallow. You won't, you won't want to have other people speak into your lives. You won't know other people well enough to be able to do the same for them. See, to live the Christian life, we need each other, and so we need to commit to each other as a church, don't we, so we can do this kind of thing. See, verses 1 to 5, it kind of functions to to caution us to be quick to judge, to look inwardly before we speak outwardly. And it gives us this process by which we can kind of make those those judgments for the sake of love, for the sake of helping others see more clearly. Um, You can ask more questions about it in question time in a bit. Verse 6, it acts as a kind of counterbalance to this. Verse 6, don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs. Or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. See, Jesus is calling for a measure of wisdom here. How do we seek to relate to others in, and, and make right judgments? Um, I don't have time to go super in-depth in this. You can ask questions about it if you'd like. But I think there's kind of two scenarios here. There's either the Christian who, um, you know, you've done the hard work of God's relationship to you and his attitude towards you, you've, you've kind of thought internally, you've pulled the kind of beam out of your own eye and you go to speak to them in love to encourage them to live for Jesus and they say, get stuffed, get lost. I don't want to hear it. That could be one option of what that person is. Like the Pharisees are called dogs at one point um, in, in, I think, Philippians. I was talking with Andrew about that earlier. Um, it could be as well like pigs, this, this kind of unclean animal, and there's a sense of um, you know, dogs and pigs, both very animalistic, this idea of an inability to listen. And so it could be as well um, people who don't know Jesus, and when you go to share with them the gospel, they say, get lost. That's stupid. I don't want anything to do with it. We're called to have a measure of wisdom in how, how we do that, how we do that in love. Um, ask me questions about that later if you want. I want to I finish now. I want to ask us the question, what would it look like for us to be a church that made these kind of kingdom judgments? That understood that God's fatherly love and care and compassion for us drives out insecurity and leads us to peace. That understands ourselves and is able to kind of deal with our own security and then encourage others to do the same. Well, I think if we were that kind of church... We'd be worshippers. We'd be aware of our spiritual need and God's limitless power to meet that need. We'd be full of grace, wouldn't we? We'd, rather than being legalistic in our judgments. We'd be empathetic towards others, recognizing that they're just like me with the same struggles. And we'd be prayerful. We'd come to God frequently, knowing our need and his great power. Do you guys want that? Yeah, we want to be that kind of a church. Um, We want to pursue living for God's kingdom as we do that. And so we're going to need his help to empower us, to judge with clarity and humility and courage and generosity and have the whole thing fueled by grace, this, this gospel culture of speaking into each other's lives. That's my prayer. And so let's pray to finish that God would help us to be that kind of church.
Father God, you are so good and kind to us. You're a Father who loves to bless us with good gifts. We're so thankful for the best gift that we could have ever received, eternal life through Christ Jesus. In him we have peace and security where once we had fear and, and trembling and rejection. In him we are safe with you, part of your family. God, would you please transform us? Would you let our life, both individually and, and corporately as a church, would you let us um, be, be part of having spirit-empowered transformation? Would you save us from a kind of Pharisaic hypocrisy, Lord God, and teach us to live in repentance and change us into the image of your Son? Would Auckland EV be a place where people um, speak the gospel in truth to each other, that share these things in grace and love? Would you do all that work in us by your spirit to help us bring you more and more glory? Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.